Chapter 2 Sharing the Wealth Abel, the entrepreneur, seems to have a bright future. But what about the rest of the island? Haven't we just created a case system of the have and the have-nots? Will Baker and Charlie suffer because of Abel's success? Not likely. Although it was never Abel's intention to benefit anyone other than himself, his capital will help everyone nonetheless. Let's see how. After witnessing the ease with which Abel now catches his fish, Baker and Charlie asked him to share his innovative fish catcher. Hey, Abel, said Charlie, since you use that thingy only every other day, how about you let me use it the day you're out doing other stuff? Come on, buddy, said Baker, share the wealth. But Abel didn't just fall off the tuna truck yesterday. He remembers his self-sacrifice. He remembers their scorn. And he thought of the risk. What if they break my net? What if they just don't give it back? That's back to square one for me. So long, designer leafwear. With all this downside, Abel turned them down. Sorry, guys. No can do. I made my own net. So can you. At least you guys know that the thing works. Although Charlie saw the efficiency of using a net, he was apprehensive about the prospect of building one for himself. He responded to Abel. How do I know if I'll get it right? I've never made one of those things before. And besides, I don't deal well with hunger. I get the shakes. I might starve to death before I make a decent net. Baker stepped forward with another proposal. Okay, tightwad. So you're not going to do us any favors. We get it. But how about this? Lend us some of your surplus fish to eat while we make our own nets. That way we won't starve as we build and we'll repay every fish we borrow from you from the extra fish that we catch. Although the idea appealed to Abel more than giving away his net, he was still very skeptical. But if I lend you my fish, I have no guarantee that you won't just lie on the beach and take the day off. Even if you build your own nets, they may not work. Either way, you'll never be able to repay me, and I would have lost my savings for nothing. You gotta do better than that. Charlie and Baker conceded the point. They realized that they were asking Abel to take a risk for no personal benefit. But the lure of extra fish was too strong. Before long, they came up with a way to entice him into taking a chance. They thought, they crunched the numbers, and finally, a financial idea was born. Baker approached Abel and said, Let's make a deal. For every fish you lend us, we'll pay you back two fish. That's a 100% profit. Or else you're going to get a return like that on an island like this. Abel is persuaded. Now that interests me, he said with no apparent irony. Abel thought of the riches. If I lend them two fish, I'll get back four. I'll be two fish richer without doing any work. I'll be a fish tycoon. Now to some, it may appear that Abel has crossed the line. If this were a Hollywood movie, he would start twirling his waxed mustache. He would be making money off of the backs of others' labor, drawing profits from their toil. But that image doesn't hold water. Even if Abel only intends to fill his own fish coffers, his greed, for lack of a better word, would provide a benefit that otherwise would have been unavailable. It's important to note that Abel does not need to make the loan. He has a range of options, including these four. He might simply hold on to the fish for future use. This is the most secure option. He'd be guaranteed to not have any losses. But of course, 
his savings wouldn't grow. Second, he could simply indulge himself and consume his savings. Third, he could build his own net rental company. He reckoned that if he consumed one of his reserve fish a day for two days, he could build two more nets. He could then rent the extra nets to Baker and Charlie for half a fish a day. With each of the two kicking in half a fish every day to his net rental company, Abel would have the one fish a day he needs to live without ever having to go fishing himself. Hello, early retirement. In this scenario, Baker and Charlie would be able to catch two fish per day with their new nets. After paying Abel their half a fish per day rental, they would still have one and a half fish per day. That's 50% more than they would have had with no nets. So it's a win-win. Although intriguing, Abel noticed some flaws in this logic. Baker and Charlie might rent the nets for two days, then use their savings to build nets for themselves. In such a scenario, he would only be two fish ahead. That's a real risk. Fourth, he could lend out his two fish to Baker and Charlie and charge them 100% interest. In this scenario, he'd get back four fish if they paid him back in full with interest. But there was always a risk that they could stiff him. Decisions, decisions, decisions. To summarize, Abel, and society in general, can only do five things with his savings. He can save what he has saved. He can consume what he has saved. He can lend out what he has saved. Or he can invest what he has saved. Or he can try a combination of all these four options. But unquestionably, Abel's ultimate decision will be based on his own desire for risk and reward. In almost all cases, his choice will benefit others and no choice will impose a burden on his neighbors. In the end, Abel decides to make the loan. Reality Check As a result of Abel's willingness and ability to make loans, Baker and Charlie now have nets they didn't own before. With nets available to all, the island's collective fishing capacity has been raised from three fish per day to six. The economy has doubled in size, and the future looks brighter. But this didn't happen just because three guys were unsatisfied with their limited lifestyle. Their hunger, which is labeled demand in economic terms, was necessary to spur economic growth, but not sufficient to achieve it. Demand for more is natural to all humans. No matter what we have, we always want more. Maybe not more stuff, but certainly more time, more fun, and more choices, all of which require more capital. Abel, Baker, and Charlie likely had the same fish gripes for years. The difference is that they were finally able to expand productivity to meet those demands. With their extra fish, the islanders can finally eat more than one fish per day. But the economy didn't grow because they consumed more. They consumed more because the economy grew. This is a simple concept, but it's amazing what modern economists can do with a simple concept. Most economists think that demand can be increased by giving people more money to spend. But that doesn't change real demand, just how much people can spend on items that have already been produced. Only by increasing supply can people actually get more of what they demand. To some, it may appear that Abel has used his advantage to exploit his needy neighbors. And while it is true that he made a profit without working, it doesn't mean he gets something for nothing. Abel's profit is his compensation for the risks he takes. What's more, his ability to profit doesn't hinder 
the advancement of his peers. Because of Abel's desire to make a profit from his savings, Baker and Charlie got the opportunity to build nets without having to under-consume. If they succeed, they will have improved their economic futures without having had to go hungry. The rest will be gravy, or more accurately, fish oil. At that point, they themselves will have excess capital. If they fail and are unable to pay back the loan, it's able who'll take the loss. Essentially, the lender can only benefit if the borrower benefits. Of course, others may not see the mutual benefits as clearly. What if upon seeing Abel's sudden expansion of wealth, Baker and Charlie grew envious and demanded a portion of his savings? Imagine this alternative scenario. Baker fretted. Look at that guy lording it over to us with his fancy palm-leaf tuxedo while we sweat it out in the waves every day wrangling slimy fish. Hasn't that guy ever heard of charity? Couldn't he just spare me a fish or two so I could take a day off once in a while? He's got so many fish piling up, he'd never even know one was gone. Charlie concurred. Share the wealth, elitist! What about this scenario? Let's suppose Abel's feeling somewhat guilty about his comparative wealth and was swayed by their arguments and gave away his fish, asking for nothing in return. What would Baker and Charlie do with the extra fish? If they were free from the burden of repayment, they would most likely use the gift to increase their leisure time. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with leisure, in fact, it is the goal of most human activity, Baker and Charlie's vacation would not increase the island's productive capacity by a herring. And so while the charity option sounds more magnanimous and may improve Abel's popularity, it doesn't provide the economic boost that a business loan would. Reality Check some may wonder what would happen if Abel turns out to be a really greedy guy who would use his new wealth just to get richer and richer. Is this really a danger? If the only way to make his savings grow, without working himself, is to make it available to other members of the community, why would he hoard it? Otherwise, his wealth will stay the same or get smaller as he personally consumes it. The best thing about private capitalism is that it forces those who may only be motivated by personal gain to raise the living standards of others. The bottom line is that anything that leads to more fish catching, called production, benefits the island. The more fish that are caught, the more possibilities there are for everyone to eat more and do something besides fishing, or perhaps do nothing at all. Takeaway. Wealth is always a relative term. In a primitive society where little is produced, even the richest can't match the material well-being available to the poor of an industrialized economy. In the Middle Ages, even the mightiest kings lacked the basic amenities that nearly everyone in the United States now takes for granted. Things like central heating, indoor plumbing, and fresh vegetables in the winter. And although Baker and Charlie would imagine that fishing just every other day to be the height of luxury, from our perspective, such a lifestyle hardly seems enviable. But the fact that there are degrees of wealth has always struck some as being inherently unfair. Central in this unease is the belief that the rich become that way because they take wealth from others, thereby creating the poor. In modern economics, some have even labeled this idea the labor theory of value, which states that profit is created by paying workers less than they are worth. In this view, entrepreneurs like Abel, or giant corporations for that matter, can get rich only if they succeed in making others poor. 
This idea has everything to do with moral posturing and nothing to do with reality. The reason that the rich get that way, at least initially, is that they offer something of value to others. Abel offers loans to those who have inadequate savings. If he profits, it's only because the service he provides is valuable to others. If Abel were a big bully and could simply steal half of his neighbor's catch every day, then it would be true that his relative wealth would be derived from the relative poverty of those he oppresses. But these actions, which would involve forcing others to do something against their own interests, would not increase the island's overall productive capacity. He would simply take what others have produced, and the island's production would remain the same. More likely, overall capacity would fall. The oppressed would cut back on their work when they realized that the fruits of their labor would be stolen. Large-scale examples of such coercion dominate history. Slavery, serfdom, peasantry all come to mind. And while workers do respond to force when their self-interest is denied, they respond far better if they are the beneficiaries of their labor. Unfortunately, examples of large-scale economic freedom are rare in global history. But when self-interest is allowed to flourish, productive capacity expands quickly. The use of credit is a perfect example of how economic freedom works to everyone's benefit. As long as lenders and borrowers are free to strike their own terms, the collective result will be a success. However, as we will see later on, the market for loans can be distorted by outside forces. When it is, disaster usually ensues.